0: Good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today is July 31st, 2022, and the title of today's message is Stewardship. We have a slide for you to look at. Now, when you look at a picture like that, nope, let's try it again.
1: Oh, it's all good. We can do this message with no slides.
0: Well, sometimes there's technical difficulties, but the church of the living God will not be overcome by computer issues. Amen. Amen. So imagine a ship and just have that picture in, in mind. When you look at a picture and you see a warship and you see something along the lines of a, an aircraft vessel, there's nothing like watching something function in a manner and in a capacity that, was always, that it was always destined for. There's nothing like seeing something function the way that it was built and designed to function, whether it's a machine, a ship, or even a person. It's especially true of a church body like you. When the body of Christ begins to throw off entanglements, when they start coming together under one shoulder, when they start locking arms with each other and pushing ahead towards the goal, there's nothing like watching a church do the things that the Word of God always said it should be doing. But let's face it, because if you're like me, then you always thought that an axe-type church was a unicorn that might exist in some other country somewhere else. But you'd never seen it or heard of it until you came here. There's something truly special about seeing it and being able to participate in a church like Life-Changing Ministry and churches like the One Association churches. Because we're increasing more and more in our functionality as we operate together. That's because this is the will of God that we are accomplishing. And because we know that we are walking and operating in his will, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we cannot and will not be stopped.
1: Church, we just like looking at a picture of this ship right here, we've been enjoying watching this body be connected together in new ways and achieve new heights in the Lord. We've been watching and enjoying you guys functioning as you actually ought to function. Somebody say praise God for that. Praise
0: God for that.
1: You know that we're on a three-month journey of reprioritization. We're reprioritizing our focus, reprioritizing our efforts before the One Association Conference. Hallelujah for that charge, church. There's a phrase in the book of Haggai that we want to review with you. Turn with us to Haggai chapter 1 and verse 5 as we get started together this morning. As you're turning there, you need to know something. The phrase, give careful thought, occurs four times in two separate thoughts in the book of Haggai. We're going to be reading through the first thought as we begin together this morning. This is Haggai 1 verse 5. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought thought to your ways. You have planted much but have harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Wow. Haggai has a very real and a very sobering challenge for the remnant of Israel that had returned from captivity here. Giving careful thought to their ways. In fact, right here, he is challenging them in every major area of their life that you can possibly think of. Listen to this list. Give careful thought to what you are planting. Think about that. Everything that you are sowing into, give careful thought to that. Give careful thought to what you are eating, what you are consuming. Give careful thought to what streams you are drinking from. Give careful thought to what you are choosing to put on and clothe yourselves with, i.e., what you're spending your time and your efforts on. And give careful thought to the wages that you are working for. That touches just about every major portion of the lives of the remnant of Israel, doesn't it? But there's no way that these highlighted topics are only for the remnant in 5th century B.C. Israel. Can you say that these five areas of focus are just as applicable for us today, before this conference, as they
0: were for the remnant of the people of Israel in their day and age? So let's go to verse 7. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Again, give careful thought to your ways go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. The amazing thing about the Lord is that he is always faithful to highlight wayward areas in our lives, but he is also always faithful to give us a cure to that same waywardness. Listen to the cure that Adonai gives his people through the prophet Haggai. He first says, go up to the mountains. It's time for us to refocus on experiencing God's presence. We are talking about those sweet moments alone in his presence, but it definitely cannot stop there. You need to experience his presence as a family and in fellowship with other brothers and sisters. The presence of the Lord is the first vital step to getting your priorities lined up with his. Church,
1: when's the last time that you invited People over another family to your house and you just sat there and prayed for a moment before the lord you broke out a guitar just because you wanted to experience the presence of god church we are going higher in this area we are going to go up to the mountain of god and experience his presence and rekindle that desire to do so the second area was bring down timber this is a reprioritization of his revelation as your greatest desire as well as your greatest treasure. Have you been enjoying our studies through the book of Ezra? Oh yeah. Man, we've been enjoying them as well. Were you as moved as we we were when you began to understand the vast amount of tons of gold and silver that the second wave was carrying back to Jerusalem for God's purposes and yet Ezra in Psalm 119 made sure to let all of eternity know the law from your mouth, Lord, is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of gold and silver. Did that move your guy's heart? Yeah. Reading through Psalm 119 has continued to shape our view of the preciousness of God's word. We've been doing that for a couple weeks now together. And rightly so, since it is called Ezra's manual of devotion to the word of God. Ezra wrote Psalm 119 as a guide to grow your hunger
0: for the very word of God. Yeah. So we go up to the mountain, we bring down the timber, and then the third directive is build the house. Spend your time developing and sharing what he is revealing and highlighting to you. This is the third and final step of the cure for waywardness. You want to be cured of waywardness? Getting out of your comfort zone and the comfort of your schedule and getting to work on the house of God, which is each other in this room. The Lord will take pleasure in these things and be honored. And this reprioritization of focus and effort does something for us now and empowers us for the conference that's coming ahead of us. Now let's take a look at the second time Haggai tells the people to give careful thought. Say careful thought. Careful thought. Careful thought through their ways.
1: All right, turn your, in your Bibles, turn your page, one page, to Haggai chapter 2. We're going to start reading in verse 18. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, give careful thought is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. Haggai showed up in the sixth month, and he began prophesying, but now they're in the ninth month. They were given about three months as a gift from the lord so that they could give careful thought to their ways and reform them and this short time period actually changed the course of kingdom history for them this is where we are now in the thick of identifying and correcting mission drift Self-set yeah. priorities. We're renewing this challenge to you this morning so that you do not easily forget that we are in the midst of this three-month process. And to take a serious look at it because it will make all the difference in our eternity as well.
0: Yeah. If you remember the words of Revelation chapter 2, the church at Ephesus had to renew their original commitment and so must we. Amen. Do you realize that Jesus walked through the temple that the remnant of Israel built in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah? They weren't building a temple just for themselves or the name of the Lord. They were building the temple that Jesus himself would walk through. Now, as you contemplate that incredible truth, you also need to know that Jesus also walks through the midst of our work. This is a great compulsion to work with excellence and zeal for his building project. Because he's going to come and examine it. How does this change your outlook each day to know that Jesus himself is walking through the work and evaluating the quality of what each man is doing? If you knew that Jesus was coming over to inspect your house, would you prepare any different than you already are? I would. We know what this is producing in us. It brings us to daily repentance and daily reliance on the power of the Spirit that we might work well and do it consistently. Pastor Payton,
1: when our daily repentance and reliance starts to bring about this consistency that you're talking to us about, then things begin to shake in our lives. Look what else Haggai said at the end of that three-month period in verse 20. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tells Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother." Guys, things begin to shake when we consistently get this right. Royal thrones and the powers of foreign kingdoms get overthrown when we get this right. Kingdom doors begin to open when we get this right. Right, Elder Charlie? Kingdom doors are beginning to open. And it's going to happen in the very near future. We are greatly anticipating these things when we get together for this one association conference in October. And they will happen because we will not stop our pursuit of this three-month examination. We're going to continue to look into our progress, to commit ourselves to repentance, and to be faithful to ask for heaven's
0: help in strengthening our hands for the work. So if you think we're talking about being committed, working hard, and consistently, you're right. Because we have made a three-month commitment of repentance and searching our houses And we know some have not been committed to it. We have to be very careful if we say we are going to be stewards and ambassadors of the kingdom of God for the rest of our life. And we're going to accomplish great things, but we can't keep a commitment for three months. It sets them in contrast to each other. We want to be the greatest, the biggest, accomplish the greatest things for Christ. And he's like, great, here's three months. If we can prove faithful with little, then we can have a good head start on the things that are ahead of us cuz they're much greater. But how can we move on to our topic this morning without reviving the attitude of the gospel that was presented to us from the message impossible last Sunday? The answer is, we can't. So we're going to read to you 2 Timothy 1:13 and 14 which says, "What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus." Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. We're in a time of proving faithful, and it is impossible for Satan to stop the church of the living God. We are 100% totally and completely unstoppable as long as we're obedient to three main principles. Number one, we are keeping the pattern. The Lord does not need us to change his pattern, church. It is us who needs to do the changing. We conform to his pattern, not conform his pattern to our own will.
1: Now I understand why I need daily repentance, Pastor. That's right. I need that.
0: We need to go up to the mountains and work to reapply the principles that we've been taught so that we can show ourselves as faithful servants and faithful followers.
1: Church, we are guarding the good deposit that was entrusted to us. right. The whole world is going to try to corrupt the pure gospel that we have learned to take our stand on. That is just the fact of the matter. All major news outlets, many public school systems, and most major countries of the world have taken a sudden and a fierce dive into the atrocious and into the carnal. Our own thoughts and emotions even attempt to move us one inch at a time in their same direction. But church, this morning we're saying no! It's not going to happen. We will renew our covenant to the standard that the deposit has set for us. We will guard the timeless and absolute truths of the gospel with our very lives. It's our responsibility to bring down timber from the heavens. And if the word says it, then that settles it for each one of us. No excuses, no elastic interpretations, and certainly no manipulation. Guys, we are up here as very frail and flawed men. But you have seen us consistently carry out the pattern as an example for you. Now we are charging you, do the same. Do as we are doing and learn to take your stand against the evils of this
0: world. We can say that with confidence because we know that it is worth it. Let's talk about our third. We are guarding it with the help of the Holy Spirit. You know a man who says, "I was once spirit-filled, I was once empowered from heaven," is not the same as the man who says, "I am continually daily being filled with the Spirit of God." Church, we must experience his infilling time and time again so that we have his help to guard the good deposit and Fully participate in building His house, because your full participation is absolutely essential to this work being accomplished. It's impossible, church, for Satan to stop us in this unless we stop ourselves. You began what you began in the spirit; you must finish in the spirit. To hold on to what you were entrusted with. We'll take the power and the presence of God's spirit of holiness as a daily feeling. If you believe that maturity in Christ means you become more competent and less dependent on him, you've gotten off track. As you mature in Christ and you get closer to the goal, you become more dependent on God, on his spirit, and the uh, ones around you who are filled with his spirit. You actually grow more dependent as you grow more competent. But we say this morning as a church body, when Satan tries to stop us, when he tries to overcome this church, when he tries to say, you're going to uphold the standard, but I will take your children. If you uphold the standard in your workplace, I will cause your job to be uh, taken away from you. When Satan tries to stand against us as a church, we say "Bring bring it on. Because it's impossible for the gates of hell to overcome the church of the living God. Because we are the church of the Mighty One, of Adonai, we have our gaze set fiercely upon the will and desires of our King alone. Church, are you renewing that kind of attitude that we've been preaching
1: and teaching about over the course of the last week? We're going to start this morning together by talking to you about a steamship. Steamship. It's a steamship that was called the C&B. Take a look at this picture with us. Isn't that a beautiful little steamship there? It's pretty. Now, it's actually, in reality, it's not small. This thing is gigantic. It was huge. It's called the c and like we said. It gets its name from the company that originally built it and owned it. It was called the Cleveland and Buffalo c Transit Company. This ship was once the largest ship and the most expensive side-wheel steamship on the Great Lakes, entertaining travelers between the cities of Cleveland and Buffalo. It was originally built in 1912. This thing was 500 feet long. 6,400 tons of steel went into this ship, and it featured four decks that could hold upwards of 1,500 passengers. Guys, this design in its day was lauded above all other things. It had a mahogany lobby. You know what we're talking about. Got that wood paneling on the side of it. Elegant ballrooms and a bevy of private parlors and saloons scattered throughout the ship. And to show it off, the Cleveland Chamber of Commerce themselves chartered the inaugural trip and hosted a reception for the Buffalo Chamber of Commerce. So needless to say, this wasn't your ordinary steamboat. Ladies and gentlemen, this, what you're looking at, was luxury at its finest. But all of that changed just a few decades
0: later. Take a look at our next slide. The transformation of the C and B. Say C and B. So the ship cruised for decades between two cities of Cleveland and Buffalo, shortly before they were shot down by the Cleveland Indians. I'm, I'm kidding. So, a special trips to the port of Detroit. So it's traveling between Cleveland, Buffalo, and Detroit. Many prestigious people and groups came out to the Great Lakes just to take some time to enjoy its pomp and ostentatious display. But all that changed in 1941. The year when in the midst of World War II, the United States was just about to begin their engagement in the Second World War. The US was in a huge bind. They were going to war, but they desperately needed to train new pilots and officers before they sent them. Before they sent them out into the battlefield. And they weren't able to spare any of their combat ships. They needed more. So with that being said, In 1941, the U.S. military bought the CMB for the purpose of converting it into a ship that could be used to train pilots and other officers for their frontline duties. So the American Shipbuilding Company in Cleveland stripped the ship down to the basics. It was then towed to Buffalo, where 1,200 people worked around the clock to remove the upper decks and make her into what she later became.
1: Now remember that story as we continue on and talk to you And tell you that in this house, you have pastors and elders that work around the clock to build your lives into what they will later become. Church, we are going to turn up the steam on our devotion. We're going to guard the word in our commitment to the Lord. We will not be found absent in righteous deeds during this three-month journey, nor will we be lulled to sleep by the deceptive current of this world. Our path is set. Our focus is locked in, and we will not be overcome by the enemy and his tactics to distract us. The sacrifice is not really a sacrifice, church. It's our greatest joy and highest privilege. We constantly look for ways to lay our lives down for the families in this room because you are the reason that we exist. We also know that you would do the same for us. And together, we're building a house that will stand in the face of great opposition, And we must prove faithful with the great deposit and the mysteries that have been entrusted to us. We're realizing together as a church just how much we've been entrusted with. And it is
0: time for us to rise up to the offices in which our general has caused us to operate. Now I know this church, you are going to rise up. Do you believe that opposition like we've never seen before is going to come against this body? then we are doing the time now. We're putting in the work now to prepare internally so that we can stand against what is coming towards us. In light of that, we're going to revisit a scripture that is very common. It's 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, which says, So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust... Must prove faithful. You've heard this passage last Sunday, on Tuesday, on Thursday, and we are telling you again because it's important. When you hear the word servant, you may picture a dirty, tattered, a person dressed in dirty, tattered clothing, or you may see a cocktail waitress serving up delicacies on the CNB. I don't know how you think of a servant, but I can tell you that it's incorrect. The servants that we're talking about today, from the Young's Literal Translation, it's going to help us understand what we mean by servants. Do you want to do that? This is 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2 in the Young's Literal. Let a man reckon us as officers of Christ, not servants, officers, and stewards of the secrets of God. And as to the rest, it is required in the stewards... That one may be found faithful. So, our goal is that all men reckon us as officers of Christ. When you think of officers, the Greek thought behind it describes one who is under authority and who is fully capable and competent to fulfill the duty assigned by his authority. This kind of officer employs his skills to accomplish the work given to him. The Greek word is even often used to describe officers present on a wartime ship or boat.
1: Guys, it's so easy to view yourself as just merely a servant. And that is biblical, it's godly, it's good. But there is another facet to what the word says that you are that is equally as important and equally as good. This is this word that we're looking at here as an officer, We want to tell you this morning that we are all servants of Christ, but we are all also being developed and raised up into officers of Christ. Into the positions that he has ordained for each one of us to live in and to work in. We're not there yet, but we're telling you that these specific positions are opening up in the body of Christ. And we need you to step up into the call that God has on your life. We're going to hone in on this word for steward this morning. The title, once again, to our message is stewardship. And as we do that, we're going to head over to 1 Peter. We're going to go to chapter 4. Pastor Wade actually shared it this morning during our Kaddish. We're going to hone in on verse 7 together to get a better idea about our context. And somebody say stewardship as you're turning there. Stewardship. This is going to be read from the NASB. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Listen to verse 10. As each one has received a special gift. I'm going to say that one more time as each one has received a special gift as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Wow. So if the end of all things was near when Peter was writing this letter, how much nearer do you think we are to the end sitting right here? With that perspective, Peter gives some very poignant instructions to the church. He starts with sobriety regarding the things of God. Like, he's encouraging them, hey, guys, stop guessing. Stop saying, I think this is what the Word says. No, get an actual depth of knowledge that enables you to understand what the Word says. To properly apply it to your own lives. Peter goes on to make a staggering assertion. Each one has received a special gift. Church, this is so true of each one of you. You have come to this church body and discovered the purpose for which he has made you. Could there be another special gift that is over and beyond the purpose for which God has created you for? Guys, it's so special. You have a mezuzah that guides the way that you live. It guides the trajectory of your life, and he has supernaturally empowered and anointed
0: you with special gifts to be able to achieve the tasks that he is giving you. So proving faithful with the gifts that Adonai has given you, it pleases him on so many levels. Church, he formed you. He has watched over your life. And if that wasn't enough, he also gave you a very unique gifting that brings him glory when you employ it. When I think of the Hewitts, we're just going to have a little family meeting here. When I think of the Hewitts, when they minister the word of God and employ the special giftings, the Hewitts bless the Parsons. They bless everyone in this room in a way that only they can. I, I often tell the story of like, what do you hear when people ask me about worship? What, what do you think of when you worship alone? What I hear is Nolan Hewitt's voice and the, and the special projection that he has that is so full of passion mike's not needed it is a supernatural gifting that the that the lord has given him and when he employs it man the walls begin to shake or when i think of a man like justin treester who is gifted on so many ways but when he ministers the word of god in only the way that he can because of the gift that he has man you leave changed you leave with a greater depth of knowledge And that's the same for everyone who lives in the Hebron house. Even Rob Barnett, when Rob Barnett operates the way that God has gifted him to, man, you cannot leave not encouraged, not full of hope, not full of passion, knowing that what's ahead of you will work out and bring about fruit. It's the same for everyone in this room. And we could spend the rest of our time together just talking about how everyone in this room has a special gift and how it has personally impacted us. But our point is that you have a special gift, and when you employ it correctly, man, never diminish your effectiveness when you, when you are actually functioning the way God made you to. Your faithful administration of the special gifts that God has given you to serve one another, they help this work grow and progress. What is that called? Stewardship. It's called stewardship. And you know, stewardship is a great word. And Greek is a great language second to Hebrew. Tip of the cap to my brother, Triester, there. So in light of this Greek word for stewardship, Pastor Nick Ergina has made a slide, and only a way that Pastor Nick Ergina can make a slide. <laughs> so this slide, the word for stewardship is oikonomos. Can you say oikonomos? This word means a person who manages the domestic affairs of a family, to be a manager of a household, a guardian. Wow. An overseer, a master, one who stands over, a leader, a captain, a ruler, a leader, a great man, or a ruler of a household. Guys, is this word beginning to come alive to you like it has
1: for us? You can clearly see that your stewardship, your faithful administration of the special gifts that God has entrusted you with, it starts in the way that you manage the domestic affairs of your own family and your own household. So husbands in the room, we are talking to you this morning. You are managers that we're talking about. You are the guardians. You are the overseers, the masters, the captains, the rulers, the officers of your household that have been entrusted to you. You are stewards of a trust, and the great high priest is continually walking among your work to see just what you're doing with what you've been given. Wow. Yeah. Your homes, they're always the starting point for the stewardship that you have, always the basis. But they are not the ending point of your stewardship. Whoa, is that surprising to anybody in the room? The goal for each one of you, men of God, is that your stewardship is consistent and ever expanding to the point where you are given stewardship within the body and within the church of the living God. That has always been the goal for each one of your lives, men. As First Timothy 3 5 says, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? That's Peshat. But if someone in the room does know how to manage his own family, yeah! then he will most definitely rise to the officer of to the office of manager, guardian, overseer, master, captain, and ruler over God's household. The officers of God's house. We're talking about from the deacons all the way up to the offices of the elders. They are filled in and filled up by the men who do not shrink back from the stewardship of the things that have been entrusted to them right here and right now. Now, you singles in the room, don't you dare say to the Lord this morning, but I'm only a dry tree. Dry tree. No, no. You have a home that you've been placed in with responsibilities yeah. to it. You have a vehicle that you've been entrusted with, church. Come on. You know what I'm talking about here. Oh yeah. You got a group of brothers and sisters who have granted you tasks that are under your care. And you must rise to steward each of these areas because you are just beginning in your guardianship and the sky is the limit for you. You could say that each one of us are stewards on this ship. And every one of us have been entrusted with things in which we must prove faithful and learn to continually improve and expand it.
0: Church, we can be confident about the vision to see our sons and daughters launched into ministry around the world. Think of our map. We can be confident that that's going to be accomplished. Why? Because we will never cease we will never give up pursuing the father's heart to guard what's been entrusted to us. We've already committed to that as a body that we will never give up. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 12, from everyone who has been given much, from Luke 12:48. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. We want to speak to you now from a few passages on the topic of stewardship, now that your understanding is growing. We want to speak as it relates to the body of Christ, because offices in this church are opening up, and we need faithful men who have guarded what's been entrusted to them to step up into these roles, and we're going to start in Exodus 18. Ooh, Exodus 18, 17 is where we're
1: going to start here. I'm going to be reading from the NIV 84, Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Church, do you love the pastors and elders that God has given as a gift to you in this church? We are with you in that sentiment. We love them too. The ministry team that God has raised up, they're full of life, equipped for the tasks of pastoring you. We also want to acknowledge that we as a church are growing in every way. And the measure of our future growth cannot be understated. We are looking ahead to the future. We are casting some vision for this church this morning, knowing that we need more than what we have right now for the work of God to continue to thrive in this place. We will not be able to handle the work alone. We need to raise up more
0: officers in this house. Man, that's so true. Let's go on to verse 19 in Exodus 18. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them the laws and decrees, and show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. In other words, steward what's been given to you so that you can transfer it. Verse 21, but select capable men from all the people, men who fear God. Trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. This morning, we are unashamedly calling you out, church. We are looking for men who are ready to step up and fill these ranks. Men who display a conviction of a fear of the Lord, who refuse to act one way behind closed doors and another way in the presence of the congregation of God. Men who are working to prove themselves trustworthy over the teachings of the word that have come from this house, who do not need someone to constantly be goading them in order for them to take a step forward in faithfulness. Men who are learning how to hate evil of all kinds, who hate the evil that they see in themselves first and foremost, and who use their own testimony of transformation as a tool to help others gain victory, like they have in their own lives. This is how the word describes men who are capable and equipped to minister to others and have a responsibility for their welfare. Verse 22
1: says, Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. There's actually one more aspect to a capable man that we failed to mention in the previous verses that we can see here. A capable man is defined as a man who refuses to work independently.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's really
1: good refuses to do it by himself. He refuses to be a lone wolf making decisions by himself. Capable men are men who are learning to work in teams, to discern the will of the Lord and to enact it on the earth. As even for me as your pastor, this particular area is one where I easily slip back into old habits. As we're on an upward trend, In our teams, we're on an upward trend in working together and submitting to one another because that's submitting to Christ. But even I have found myself recently in the comfortability of just seeking the Lord on an individual basis, you know, because it's so much easier just to hear from God myself, making decisions on my own. And, you know what, telling myself, these aren't big decisions, these are some of the smaller decisions. So, I can just go ahead and make this by myself, and it's not really going to affect anything. It'll be okay. No. Capable men of God choose the integrity that it takes to work in teams. And to work with other members of our family, as God has ordained for us to. And when we do, something beautiful happens, and we're going to see that in verse 23.
0: Yeah, and before we we go on to that, because what Pastor Nick is sharing with you is pure gold. If you only seek the Lord when there's big decisions and when you have a small decision, it's like, well, I'll do it myself. What are you saying about the Word of God? Hey, Lord, speak to me. What you're saying right now isn't as important as what I'm going to need tomorrow. If you're expecting the Lord to speak to you, you're already diminishing it if you think you don't need to seek help and counsel from other people. Like, oh, this is a small matter. You know, what do I do with this situation with my wife? I'll pray independently, but it's not as big of a deal to bring to the group. It's also but.
1: subject to your own judgment. That's, that's my judgment whether something was big or small. Why not bring, willingly bring everything to the group, submit myself to the group, and have the courage and confidence of that decision moving forward. That way, everybody wins and everybody is working As a ship that God designed is
0: destined to work. You're bringing everyone on board with what God is doing in your life. Let's go to verse 23. If you do this, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain. And all these people will go home satisfied. So you have to acknowledge Jethro's humility here when he says, and God so commands. His own advice he wanted confirmed by the Lord. This was a life giving correction to Moses as he rose up to lead God's people. The result was him being able to stand the strain. Man, for the saints of the Most High, we train in the strain and we love it. We will not promise you riches, comfort, glory, or prosperity this morning. What we will promise, though, is that through our very own blood, sweat, and tears, Adonai will build this house into a battleship that will launch countless into the nations. Turning a comfortable cruise liner into a battleship has always taken a whole family working around the clock to build. So listen to how this command builds as we move to Matthew 25 and read a parable that Jesus enumerated to his followers on the topic of stewardship.
1: This is Matthew 25, 14. As you're going there, say stewardship with us. We're actually going to be reading this one from the NIV 2011 because it does something special for us this morning. The pericope here, it's not in the text, but it says the parable of the bags of gold. We have known this parable as the parable of the talents. We're going to put a little different spin on this parable for you this morning. Verse 14, again. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Wow, what a great parable that we see here. It's a little different too, reading it in that light. We've been teaching a lot lately about gold and silver being entrusted to stewards who were required to guard and grow that which was entrusted to them. And how could we not visit this parable in our studies together this morning? The master entrusted multiple stewards with that which was of great worth to him. And he left them with it, fully expecting that they would work together to bring him the return that he required. Two of those stewards, they received those precious gifts and they went to work at At once. once. Putting those gifts into practice and expanding the master's gifts in every Area that they could. But one of the stewards, he dug a hole in the ground? Where in the world did he get that idea? Nobody
0: else is doing that. Why did he choose to do it that way? So we have another side of this beautiful gem to show you this morning regarding that last steward. This last servant had a misconception of his master. He did not know his master's character, nor did he fully understand his will. The other two stewards, they had something in common. Oh, tell us. They both had the master's end goal continually in their sight. And they had the vision that they needed to direct their everyday actions in a way that would produce that, what, that which their master was after. They were successful because they worked together to get it right. Now, the last steward, however, both his immediate actions and his long, long-term outlook proved different from that of all his peers. Do you see what's happening here? You can actually test your own actions up against this last steward. Unfaithful servants who are not fully on board with the master's will and the master's plan, their actions show up in this. Number one, having a different plan from everyone else, thinking that their own way is the better way. And bearing what they've been entrusted with while attempting to use other outside means to get the work done. Wow. Wow. Number two unfaithful servants, they're lazy. They don't immediately, at once, put to work that which is being placed in their hands. And the third, they actually undervalue the deposit. And choose to bury it instead of treat it with the value that it actually has, precious and useful in every way. Think about what you do with a talent. You put it to work to multiply it. What do you dig a hole for outside the camp? Refuse. When you have been entrusted with a talent, with a bag of gold, something to grow and expand... We need to make sure, whether great or small, we treat it with the most respect and reverence.
1: Stewards of the Most High God, we're talking to you this morning. We want to tell you that war or the preparations necessary to participate in the the war, they never happen at a convenient time. That's true. The transformation that occurred for the CNB ship, that second picture that we showed when it's stripped all the way back to the steel, that transformation occurred when most people were still on vacation. Most people were still choosing to spend those people chose to spend their precious God given time and resources on their own pleasures instead of sowing into the kingdom of God that was at hand. While the world is out living their best life now, we are here in this house, consumed with giving careful thought to our ways. And consumed with building an aircraft carrier that will send aeroplanes into the nations. We're going to proceed to our next passage. Still on the topic of a master who will be returning to evaluate the state of his stewards and that which has been entrusted to them.
0: Yeah, this is going to be Luke 16 and we're going to pick up in verse 1.
1: Listen real nice to this parable, because you've never heard it like this before.
0: It's an incredible revelation. So we're in verse 1 of Luke 16. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. The rich man had a manager, an oikonomos, a steward, steward who was accused of wasting the special gifts that he had been entrusted with. This steward was given much, and much was demanded of him, just like Luke 12 taught us earlier. And it was time for the master to evaluate how the worldly steward was uh, using what had been given to him. Verse 2, so he called him in and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, give an account of your stewardship, because you cannot be manager or steward any longer. We are all headed for this accounting of our stewardship. But thank the Lord that we know what the word says. We don't have to wait for our master to come back to judge our stewardship. We get to judge our own stewardship now. And we should praise God for it because we will be ready whenever we have to give an account.
1: So this picture is getting painted. Let's see what this worldly steward does here in this situation and how he responds. Verse 3. The manager said to him, the steward, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. And I'm ashamed to beg. Isn't this the immediate tendency of all of us? Whenever we are confronted with the reality that we haven't been good stewards of what has been entrusted to us, to immediately begin to make excuses for all of the abilities and giftings that we think that we don't have, instead of focusing on what had been entrusted to us, the special gifts that God had given us from the beginning? Church, we need to crucify this thought pattern and excuse-mongering right now. We are challenging you this morning to look at the special gifts that the Lord has given to you what he has empowered you to do what he has entrusted you with
0: now that you've had your hearts and minds focused on what to do and what you have at your disposal watch what this worldly steward does next this is verse four i know what i'll do so that when i lose my job here people will welcome me into their houses so he called in each one of his master's debtors And he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, okay, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. And he told him, take your bill and make it 800. So the fear of his master fell upon this worldly steward and because of it he changed his actions in the moment did he make excuses about his previous mismanagement he made excuses about his physical abilities but he didn't make excuses about his mismanagement did he give up because he was so far behind he found himself in a hole that looked insurmountable to him he took full responsibility for his own mismanagement of what was entrusted to him. And he immediately began to put his gifts to use to bring whatever profit he could for his master. Church, right here before we
1: move on to the next verse. These are questions that should be rolling through your own minds this morning. Am i making excuses for the areas of the mismanagement that God is highlighting in my life. Because even the worldly steward didn't do that. Secondly, am I giving up because I'm looking and I can see just how far behind I am with my wife? Just how far behind I am with my children? It feels like I'm drowning because I've mismanaged these things entrusted to me up to this point. And now I just feel like, well, it's it's useless. Because the worldly steward did not do that. He was, he had a vision that was given to him. He was confronted with his mismanagement and he immediately put to work what had been entrusted to him so that he could make it productive again. We can learn something from the example that we see here from a worldly steward. It's true. But in a way, that is also to our shame. Read verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. What a statement that is, right there. Church, we cannot let the world set a better example of stewardship with their worldly giftings than the sons of God set with their spiritual ones. It's just not going to happen in the house of God. The worldly steward was commended because of the shrewdness with which he acted according to what he had been given. He was confronted with his own lack of stewardship in relation to what he had been given. But he responded in a way that showed his wisdom, his prudence, and diligent actions that caused his master to come back and actually commend him when he came back for his newfound commitment to the work. And that is what we are after in the house of God this morning.
0: If you're sitting in your chair this morning and your soul is stirred about the things that you have mismanaged, then learn from this worldly steward, get up, get back to your post, and manage it with all the giftings and confidence that God has entrusted you with. Get your thoughts and your mindset off the pleasures and comforts of the CNB, and fix your eyes on the ship that the Lord is building in our midst. You can and you will rise up to the office which God has called you upward. We are dependent on the skill set that God has placed inside of each and every one of you, and we need you to manage your station with shrewdness and diligence and ever-increasing conviction.
1: That's a good word, Pastor. You know, as you're talking, I realized that we never really showed them what the CNB steamship became after its construction project by the U.S. military. You guys want to see that? This is the USS Wolverine 964. So like we said earlier, in 1941, in the midst of World War II, the United States was just about to begin their own engagement in the Second World War, and they were in a huge bind because they did not have any ships that could train new pilots and new officers because they had sent all their other ships to the frontline duties already. So they took the C&B, stripped her down completely to only the basics that she needed. She was then towed to Buffalo to be worked on around the clock to remove the upper decks and to reconstruct her into the mighty aircraft carrier that you see in this yeah, picture.
0: Come on. In light of what the Lord has been speaking to us lately, we have some incredible facts about this process on our last slide. The USS Wolverine 964 began as the largest and most expensive sidewheel steamship on the Great Lakes. Its transformation from a luxury steamship to an aircraft carrier occurred from May 1942 to August 1942, a time period of about three months. Come on, church. Come on, church. Are you hearing us? (laughs) Come on, follow these numbers. 12,000 men worked around the clock to strip the ship down to the basics, remove the upper decks, and make her into an aircraft carrier. By May 7th, 1943, There had been 7,000 flights sent out from the USS Wolverine. We did not make one of these numbers up. Church, what began as in luxury, excess, and selfishness, the CMB? It ended in a radical transformation into something that proved necessary and instrumental for the war that the nation was engaged in. Without the USS Wolverine 964, the U.S. would have no way to train officers and no ability to send those trained officers to the front lines of the war effort. Did you take note of the three-month time period of the transformation? This time period perfectly mirrors the season that we are in as a church, one where we are identifying our own misplaced priorities, our misplaced focus and efforts, those C and B like tendencies of our own that can and must be transformed uh, into the necessary sections so that we can become God's aircraft carrier. We are stewards of this ship and we will all work together to steward it well.
1: Church, there were 12,000 men that worked around the clock. They worked to strip that ship all the way down to the basic foundational necessary items that were really important to the actual structure of the ship. Your mind should be racing to draw connections to the 12 leading priests from Ezra 824 who were entrusted to guard and transport the gold and silver. You all have the potential to be these leading priests Officers who distinguish themselves by having their primary aim and focus set on stripping away all of the superfluous and building back with the structure and equipment necessary for this aircraft carrier to achieve the function for which it is being built. To send out officers into the front lines of our king's war effort. We are going to send 100 families into the Middle East, into the region of Aswan, and in order to do so, the C&B-like areas of our own lives that still remain in this room today must be stripped and built back into areas of this aircraft carrier so that they can be utilized to train our up-and-coming crew members. It's a special gift that the Master has placed in your hands this morning. What is it? And have you been content to leave that special gift safe and secure on the CNB? Investment that he inspects a return on, that have largely gone unutilized and untouched for his actual kingdom purposes. I'm telling you this morning, it's time to pick those back up and to put them to work building the aircraft carrier that will raise up officers and send them to the front lines on God's battlefield. This altar this morning is a place that you can be freed from the soft securities of the CNB, be stripped back to the iron structure that the aircraft carrier of God can be built upon. More offices are opening up in this body, church, And a call is ringing out for for faithful stewards to fill those officers. Will they be filled by you? We charge you. Be found among those working around the clock to transform this body into the ship that will send out devoted disciples to the nations. We are all stewards of this ship, church. This altar this morning is the opportunity that you need To recommit yourself to fully and wholeheartedly grab hold of your station. And to not let your hands let go of the work entrusted to you. Get up. Raise up this morning. We're charging you. Man your post together with us. We've got work to do. We have refinement to go through. Lift up your hands and begin to pray and visit this altar if you need to. Jesus, we thank you for a message like this morning, mighty God. We thank you for giving us vision, for blessing us with direction, Lord for giving us conviction of what it means to be stewards of the great gifts entrusted to us. This morning we say we will not leave those gifts anywhere else, no, we will grab them in our hands, mighty God. We will dig them back up, mighty God, and we will put them to work, Father, because the task that you have at hand is a great task for your kingdom. Lord God, we want to be formed into that aircraft carrier that sends trained disciples and officers to the nation's mighty God. Raise us up into your will this morning, Father. We bless you in Jesus' name.